Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. So we've been uh, in Lent. We're in the second Sunday of Lent, and some of the things that I'm going to do today towards the end of the sermon, I was actually going to do last week, uh, but we got, uh, we got snowed out. Uh, but we've also been meeting on, on uh, Wednesdays, uh, last Wednesday, this past Wednesday I spoke on uh, counterintuitive devotion, um, and you can go back and listen to that on the website or on our, on our podcast on iTunes, uh, if you want to kind of keep up with what we're doing on Wednesdays. Uh, and then Wednesday I issued a Lent challenge, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, but this text in Mark grabbed me as I was, as I was preparing uh, for service today. I'll just reread it quickly. He began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does a prophet a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So this conversation that we see going on here in Mark begins after Jesus asked the disciples right before this. They're walking down the street one day. This is how I picture it anyway. Yeah, I don't know how they walked. Maybe Jesus is like in the middle and they're just maybe, I don't know, maybe they did it even three on each side and go back. Who knows? Maybe they like surrounded him, you know, maybe, maybe it was like a, like a TV evangelist. They acted like a security in the front so no one could like can talk to him. But they're all walking together. Maybe they walked in a straight line. I kind of like the picture of them just kind of walking in a straight line like that and just kind of taking up all the road. But as Jesus says to the disciples just before this, he goes, who do people say that I am? Who am I? What are you hearing? What's the news? What's the word on the street? And the disciples start saying, well, people say you're Elijah. Or some people say you're one of the prophets that, that is coming back. Maybe Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, that God is, is kind of sending back to us. And, you know, they talk about this a little bit. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And he takes it from this general, what are people saying, to what about you all? What about you 12, the people that have been walking with me, that have been following me? And Peter, of course, answers, you are the Christ. Some scholars of, of, of the New Testament, they see this question, right? Who do you say that I am as the climax of the whole gospel of Mark? Like this is the... This is what everything has been leading up towards. And in chapter 9, following this, Peter, James, and John, they all get the answer because right after this story is, of course, a story of the transfiguration, which we've already, we've already spoken about. So after this confession, Jesus then teaches them plainly. It says, He began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and killed, and after three days, rise again. This is really heavy stuff. So think about this. If you're one of the disciples, you've been following Jesus for a while. You're kind of not getting what he's saying the whole time, which is a running theme throughout the gospel of Mark. 
nobody really kind of understands who Jesus is and what he's doing. And even at the transfiguration, right, when we, they see Jesus unveiled in his divinity, they still don't understand, even though they actually see it with their own eyes. It's kind of a, a running theme. But imagine this, right? You're a disciple, you're walking with Jesus, you're talking with Jesus, you're eating with Jesus. You guys are hanging out all the time. You're helping him uh, with his ministry. You know, you, all of this stuff. And then he says, by the way, we're kind of getting to the point where everybody's going to reject me and I'm going to die. But not, I'm not just going to die. They're going to kill me. But don't worry about it. I got this. In three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Now, in their minds, they probably were thinking, well, what would you have thought, right? If, if the man that you walked with and talked with and who taught you said, everyone's going to reject me and I'm going to die. You would probably be like, um, are you sure about that? Are you, are you messing with us? Is this like a secret parable that we don't understand yet that you're going to, you know, tell us later, oh, you have little faith? Is this like a secret teaching, Jesus, maybe? I don't know. I, I probably would have responded like that. And so Peter responds in a way that many of us would have, I think, responded. Peter kind of takes him aside, because at least Peter has the presence of mind to not, like, contradict Jesus right in front of Jesus, right, right in front of everybody. He takes Jesus aside, and he's like, I got this. I got this. I got this, guys. Don't worry. I'll talk. I'll talk, I'll talk to him. Have you ever, have you ever <laughs> met people like that? Don't worry about it. I'll go talk to him. You sit over there. I'll worry about it. Peter pulls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, you're wrong. <laughs> and it says he rebukes him, right? Not, not that he just says, not that he like passive aggressively disagrees. Are you really sure about, I can't stand passive aggressive. I don't know about you guys. Are you really sure you meant to say that, Jesus? Didn't maybe you mean to say this? Now, Peter rebukes him. He, so it's very forceful. Jesus, you're wrong. What are you talking about? How can you be the one? And this is kind of how I, kind of how I imagine it. And Jesus, of course, responds, you know, Peter, I didn't think of that. You know, you make a great point. I, th I think you're right. I really should think about that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention, even though I just told everybody right now what's going to happen. And even though I'm actually telling you plainly, thanks for that, Peter. I, I really appreciate that. No, right? We know the story. What does Jesus respond with? Jesus doesn't respond with, hey, you know what? I really appreciate what you're trying to do here, but you're wrong. Um, and here's all of the reasons why you're wrong. You know, it doesn't say that Jesus, like, politely, well, used the opportunity. It's not like he had a teachable moment with Peter, right? Like, come here, Peter, sit down and, like, with a, you know, like, with a parent, with a kid. Like, Isaac's too young for that, so I can't sit him down and say, you know, you really shouldn't pull the lights, the, the, the lamp in the living room. You really shouldn't pull that down on your head. That's pretty dangerous. Because if I do that, he'll just look at me and go, ah, and stick his finger in his mouth, right? But... With Peter, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. And when we think about why Peter would confront Jesus, he's seen miracles, right? There's no room in his theology, maybe, for a suffering Messiah, what Jesus is going to the cross for. It goes against what he thinks is true. It goes against maybe his expectations of who Jesus is and what Jesus as the Messiah is going to do. And Jesus doesn't have any of it. It says he calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh. And he doesn't just leave it there. He says, you are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. So even though Peter just had this thing, you are the Christ, 
Like 10 seconds later, Jesus is like, dude, your mind is on the things of this world, not on the things of God. Right? So any flush of pride Peter may have had at that moment, immediately, I think, you know, just comes crashing down when Jesus calling him Satan. I've told you guys the story of how I was called the, the devil once. It's not pleasant being called the devil. Let me, let me uh, just put it out there for you, brothers and sisters. So why does Jesus call Peter Satan? Well, that's a really great question. Has anybody else asked that question, reading the text? That comes, Jesus, Jesus, meek and mild, right? Jesus, you know, he's supposed to be super nice to everybody all the time, 24-7, 365. Jesus has some fire in him, though, right? I think sometimes the church has tamed Jesus. But he calls Jesus, uh, Jesus calls Peter Satan. So what does Satan do with Jesus when they encounter each other in the wilderness? What does Satan try to do? He tries to tempt Jesus, right? He tries to get Jesus to say yes to shortcuts to accomplishing his mission. He tries in one, in one of the gospel narratives, he says, I will give you the kingdoms of this world if you will fall down and worship me. I will give this to you, right? A shortcut to going around the hard work of the cross, right? There's a, a scholar named Francis Maloney. He said that uh, Peter is putting a stumbling block in Jesus's path, but Jesus isn't having any of that. And so Jesus has to put a stop to it. And so we think about this. What is Peter? Well, Peter is a disciple. Now, is a disciple the teacher or is a disciple the student? The disciple is the student, right? What do teachers do when you're wrong? At least a good one. How many of you are teachers in here? I, I know we have to have at least one teacher. Yeah. When, when, your kid is, when your kids are wrong, when you're a teacher, if, they, if you say, okay, and you write on the chalkboard, what's an easy uh, math problem for me? Three plus three, right? <laughs> what's three plus three? Six. If they get it wrong, you don't say, that was a good try. Well, you might say that's a good try because, you, you know, I don't know, maybe you're trying to build them up. I, I have no idea. But that's the wrong answer, right? You have to eventually get them to the point where they know how to work out why three plus three equals six. And if you're fortunate, you can do it without common core. I've seen that and it is insane. But teachers correct sometimes. Teachers correct. And what happens? You have the disciple correcting the teacher. The servant correcting the master, right? And Jesus immediately puts a stop to this. Now remember, when Jesus first finds the disciples, what does he say to them? He says, follow me. Follow me. Come after me, right? I lead, you get behind me, and you, you follow me. And in Jesus here, he's saying, get behind me. I think it's Jesus reiterating that, hey, buddy, you're following me, and not vice versa. This stumbling block that you're putting in front of me no, this temptation, maybe even we could say, to avoid the cross. No, 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 no. You follow me. The servant is not greater than the master. And then Jesus uses to teach this a larger lesson, right, of what I like to call counterintuitive discipleship. On Wednesday, we talked about counterintuitive devotion, but counterintuitive discipleship, something that at, on the outset doesn't seem reasonable, but its outcome is something different than what you expect. 
Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, in other words, whoever's going to be my disciple, whoever's going to follow in my way, has to do what? Has to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This, brothers and sisters, is something that probably will just keep coming up forever, right? As long as we're Christians, should the Lord tarry. But Jesus' call to self-denial, particularly in the culture that we live in, in our place and time, sounds insane. Because everything in our culture tells us that we are the center of our own universes, right? I mean, and, and, and that plays out in so many different ways. That plays out in so many different ways. What's true for you is true for you, but it's not true for somebody else. That's your truth. I have my truth. That's all good. You know? Like, our culture doesn't like to deny itself. Right? Even many times when people do good things, they have to put a hashtag on it. Right? So think about it like this. There's nothing wrong with hashtags. But if somebody's going out to serve the poor, right? Maybe not have the phone out and be like, smile, wave with the, you know, the homeless person behind you. Yay, look what I'm doing, I'm helping. Post it to Instagram, Facebook, social media, Twitter, Snapchat, all that stuff. Deny yourself the things that we want that aren't good for us. Right? The things that we try to follow after other than Christ that promise us satisfaction, but the end can't deliver that. We are to deny those things for the sake of Christ, to follow Christ, kind of like Abraham did. He said he believed God, he obeyed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. This is a paradox, brothers and sisters. Want to save your life? Lose it. <laughs> Not just by, like, not, not losing it in general, but if you want to save your life, lose it in service for the sake of Christ. Lose it in the service of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, what he's come to do. That's the only sacrifice that is worthwhile. Laying down our lives for his sake, for the gospel's sake, so that the news of his, his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection what that means for us, how that transforms us as human beings, how being justified by grace makes us right with God, and then how that then, brothers and sisters, is the beginning of the process of, our, of the healing of our souls. So other than that, what, what can we learn other than don't try to argue with Jesus? What else can we learn here? Well, I think, like Peter, oftentimes we miss what God is doing in our lives because we think he's doing something else. Peter was wrong, and we are often wrong. Sometimes we think, oh, God is doing this. And then maybe a year or two removed, you look at where you are, and you're like, well, that didn't turn out the way I thought at all. Has anybody had that experience? I've had that experience many times. I think my life is a series of those experiences where I think God is bringing me one place, and then a couple years later, I'm like, where am I? What am I doing here? I'm not saying me here right now at this pulpit, but I'm talking about... <laughs> so please, don't... 
I'm not saying that, what am I doing here right now? Like, where am I? I know exactly where I am and I'm where God has me. But I mean, <laughs> like the steps that we take, right, in our lives, it never turns out the way that we want sometimes. We miss often what God is doing with us. Sometimes we miss where God is trying to lead us because we think he wants something else. We think he's doing something else. Sometimes, like Peter, we get some things right. You are the Christ. Jesus is like, good job, buddy, right on. And then Peter's like, you don't, you don't have to go to the cross. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Right? So sometimes, like Peter, we get it. And other times, like Peter, we don't get it. We put our foot in our mouth. Right? Because we have limited scope. We have limited vision. Only God sees the big picture. Only God has the big picture in mind. In this text, it's so interesting that even though Jesus finally explains everything, it says, and he spoke plainly. Peter and the disciples still don't understand. Have you ever asked God a question and followed it up with, where's my answer? I have. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, even as Jesus speaks plainly to Peter, sometimes when we ask God for answers, even if he gives us one, it doesn't mean that we're going to understand it. It doesn't even mean that we're going to be able to accept it or receive it or do anything with it. Like I, and we see this, I think, in the book of Job at the very end. Job asks question after question after question after question. And what does God, at, at the end, God sits him down and says, okay, Job, let me li give you a, reason, a list of reasons. So you, in chapter 3, you ask this question. Well, here's the answer corresponding to that question. And then in chapter 20, you ask this question. Here's the corresponding answer to, uh, to that question. No, God doesn't even really answer him. God just appears. He just shows up on the scene. He just shows up. And it drives Job to, to his knees in worship, right? And sometimes for us, brothers and sisters, when we ask God question, why, 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 we don't always get answers. But what we do get is Christ, right? What we do is, is we get God showing up. Oftentimes, we also try to tell God what we think his plan should be or what, we, like what his plan is. Like, God, I think you should do this. Has anybody ever done that? God, I don't know why you're doing this, but I really hope you do this. Let's look at Abraham briefly in the Genesis reading. God says, walk before me and be blameless. Abraham obeys. He messes up. You know, we know the story from time to time. But generally, he still believes and he follows. That's why he's the father of our faith. Abraham gave his life. Just like Jesus says in the text, those who seek to save their life will lose it. Those who seek to lose, uh, save their life will lose it. Those who seek to, to lose their life will save it. But for the sake of the gospel. Abraham gives his life to follow the call of God. Like I said to the kids, as much earlier in Genesis, God says, get out of here to a place, leave your family behind, and go to a place that I'm not going to tell you where it is. I just want you to start walking. How many of us would have been like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Like if God said to me, Michael, get Isaac and get, uh, and get Shantae, get in the car, take a couple of bags of clothes, just start driving in a general direction. And once you start driving, maybe I'll, I'll speak to you in a few years and tell you where you're going. How many of us would do that? I don't think I would. Just being honest, right? Because we want to know. We want our plans laid out. We want everything. 
We want all of the answers up front. And we don't get the answers up front, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we only get the answers to the deepest problems of our life while on the journey. Right? God doesn't even talk to Abraham like every day. From God talks to him once, he leaves. God doesn't talk to him until years later. Right? And Abraham doesn't say, God, why did you wait so long to talk to me? I've been walking around in this place. I still don't know where I'm going. And God's like, that's okay. Just keep walking around. But as Abraham gives his life to God in obedience, God promises to make him the father of many nations. He says, kings will come from you. But not only kings in general, but the king will come from him. Right? And through that king, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Not just one, but through one all, right? Through one all. Christ comes as king, and through him, the salvation that he offers, the life that he offers, all of us will be blessed through Jesus Christ. So what I asked on Wednesday, I gave us a couple of, uh, of Lenten things to do. And you might th be thinking to yourself, well, how do I deny myself? How do I take up my cross and follow Christ? What are some practical things that I can do? Because it's easy to get up here for me to say, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And it's easier for you, you to sit there and say, amen, preach, preach, Pastor Mike, that's awesome. It's the best thing I've ever heard. And then you go home and you're like, well, how, how do I do that? Well, fortunately, Lent gives us a couple of tools that we can utilize. So I'm going to ask the ushers, if you will, to get up from wherever you are. They're going to hand everybody one of these. Woohoo! Pastor Mike, you're so organized. I know. So this is uh, our Lent practice challenge. Some of you already have some, some practices, and that's awesome. And if you do, keep doing them. But these are some very practical ways that uh, we can all go through this together. So I'm going to ask all of you to choose one of these and uh, make this your, part of your Lenten practice. So the first one, obviously, we talked about fasting, giving, and praying, right? So with fasting, fast a specific food item like many of you are already doing, or fast a meal a week or a few meals a week, or if you eat out a lot, maybe instead of eating out a lot, give that money that you would have spent on eating out to the food bank or to a charity that helps people in need or to a homeless shelter that feeds the homeless. Save that money that you would have spent going out to Akamiya or to McDonald's, Taco Bell, whatever, whatever you like to eat. No one's judging. You know, give them, save that money and give it to uh, the needy who need food. The second one for giving, and this is the one that I'm going to do, take a plastic garbage bag, right? And so for the, the next, up until Easter, take a plastic garbage bag. And every day up until Easter, take one item from your drawer or from your closet, T-shirt, shirt, pants, whatever. Take one item every day right up until Easter and fill that garbage bag with stuff that you don't need, that you don't wear, maybe even stuff that you do wear that you don't need. And then bring the garbage bag here and we'll donate it to uh, a charity that gives clothes to people who don't have. And then the last one, pray. All of us have a favorite TV show. Well, most of us probably have a favorite TV show. And this is harder to do in the age of Netflix and, and Hulu with, with streaming television, but replace some TV time with prayer. So if you watch a show that's an hour, if you watch a show that's a half an hour, instead of watching a show, DVR it and watch it later. Instead, take that time that you would normally watch the show and spend some time in prayer. 
specifically prayer for the church. Prayer for me, prayer for the elders, prayer for the consistory and the deacons, and then prayer for everybody gathered here. I'm not saying you have to do the names and go through the member registry and pray for every name. You can do that if you like. But just keep the church in prayer in general, that God would be with us, that God would guide us, that God would give us wisdom, that God would, would grow us, that, that people who don't know Christ will come here and find him. And so, brothers and sisters, others also, maybe you're, you're struggling with, with a sin or with a behavior or with a pattern that you just can't shake. Use that time of prayer to commit to laying down every day a particular struggle. Every day, take time and say, Lord, I lay this down. And then ask for his help throughout the day. And if it comes up, it comes to mind again, Lord, please help me with this struggle. Use this time wisely, I think, brothers and sisters. And these are very practical ways that we can learn to deny ourselves, that we can learn to take up our cross, that we can learn to follow Jesus. Because remember, we are not greater than our master. We are his servants. We are his children. God is our father, right? We follow, we follow him. He does not follow us. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Landsman. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. You know, we have deep roots here in the local community, and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionstoneucc.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, zionstoneucc. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to have you visit our church 